Welcome to Three Associating, a podcast that goes behind the door of therapists working in a relational psychoanalytic model. I'm Andrew. And I'm Rachel. We're both therapists. And we're both supervisees of Jill. And I'm Jill, supervisor and therapist and co-author with Jackie Winship of the book, The Talking Cure. While people might think that therapists have it all together, we don't. We get stuck, experience challenges, and have blind spots. All of this affects our work, and this is where relational psychoanalytic supervision comes in. In this podcast, we will take you behind the closed doors of supervision, where we focus on the blind spots of the therapists to ascertain how factors outside of their awareness impacts their work and their ability to help their patients. In each episode, we explore a relational dilemma arising in the context of working with a fictitious patient. While none of these patients are real, the relational dynamics are. Episode 1, Naming Without Shaming. Hey Andy, what do you do when a person you like says something you really don't like? Ooh, sounds like a standard definition of a family get-together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have this client. Um, she's young. She's in her early 20s uh, and she's working as an enrolled nurse. And I've been seeing her now for, uh, for only about three months. Uh, and she's pretty likable, actually. Um, she's a bit of a people pleaser on the whole. Um, and I, yeah, I describe her as having an anxious temperament. Um, and I'd also say, though, that she's pretty sheltered. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I said, she's an enrolled nurse and she works in a hospital. Um, and last week she told me that this horrible thing happened at work um, where members of um, her team were standing around talking about the Black Lives Matter movement um, and she said she was mostly listening to what others were saying but then she spoke up and she said, oh, um, but don't you think that all lives matter? Yeah. You've just done a little <laughs> eye roll there, Rach. So I'll just point out the eye roll to the patient's comment. So we'll return to that, but mm. you did. Okay, yeah, I have to own that. So clearly yeah. you had some reaction to it. Yeah. Well, what was the reaction just before you go on? Because it was noticeable. Well, I thought that was kind of bad, <laughs> you know. Okay, okay. <laughs> um. Well, and she said um, that it didn't go down so well, <clears throat> right? So she uh, she said that what followed um, was that her manager sort of took her aside and, as she said, gave her a bit of a talking to uh, about it. Um, and, and, look, she said that she came away feeling pretty bad. Um, <clears throat> and to me it, it appeared that she was kind of embarrassed or ashamed as she was telling me. You sure. Know? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the thing was, though, in the session is that as she was telling me about it, I felt as though um, she was somehow wanting me to do something to make it all better, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as in make her feel better about it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And yet I felt that it was important that I didn't just soften it and then automatically, you know, make her feel all better about it, you know, (laughs) as though I had this power to sort of uh, take it away, take this bad feeling away. But I wasn't sure that I should, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, Mm -hmm. that there was this tension between sitting with the bad feeling long enough that maybe she Mm -hmm. might learn something, you know, uh, from it. Um, And that if I swept it under the rug, then Mm -hmm. we would have lost that. um, And, you know, that would kind of be the wrong thing to do, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it seems as though you were in a bit of a binary of conflict between the pressure that was being put on you to also be a people pleaser and please her by soothing her. Yeah. On the other hand, it does feel to me that it was quite legitimate that she wanted soothing because she did feel pretty bad. Mm. And yes, in this political moment, you know, that statement would be problematic but as you say she's been quite sheltered so she obviously didn't know that it was problematic because I don't get the feeling from you that it was said snarkily or it wasn't it wasn't in fact no it wasn't this kind of snarky Mm. comment it felt to me that it was she just hadn't thought about this before it was Mm. just not well thought out you know Mm. it was like she She'd heard someone else say this, and so she mm. was just repeating it, you know. It's mm. not that she'd given any – she was kind of naive or sort of, you know. Yeah, she hadn't given much thought to it. No. So if we then just stick with you, Rach, because the eye roll was fairly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, something got triggered in you around a sort of moralisticness or a judgmentalness or – yeah. Some anxiety, I think, about, you know, well, you don't go around saying things no, like that. that. Yeah, no, that's true. There is something that there, yeah, there, there, there was and I think there is something that sort of does exist in me that that does feel a bit moralistic about that. that that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's just dismissing the whole movement. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I do mm-hmm. think there's, there's, there's something bad about that. Okay, so, I mean, we might agree that there's something quite important and I think helpful for her to recognise that this is a political moment and that many of the people she is working with, it seems, would feel differently about, you know, the... the, well, not quite the legitimacy, but they would respond negatively to the comment, all lives matter. Mm. So something about it being important for her to be able to take in that perspective because she's working with those people. She clearly felt bad about it. She doesn't want to have a repeat of that experience. No, she doesn't, no. So it does feel that it's important that she can take that alternate perspective in. Yes. And... It doesn't mean that if you try to help her take the other perspective in, that it's not soothing. There can be a way in which helping somebody to see something in an expanded way can be soothing. But what I'm struck by is that you're caught in a binary between either I have to soothe something or sweep something under the carpet. Mm. So I was struck by that and I wondered about that. And I felt perhaps that was coming from you, that binary. Yeah, I, 
I, yeah, I think that it is. I think I do feel stuck in that. Because the way you described it to me, it felt to me as though she was more puzzled about what happened rather than uh, she wasn't projecting blame onto the supervisor and saying they're terrible no. people. But then I didn't. I didn't even know what the supervisor said, really. Um, well, that was my next point because I found it really interesting that we don't know what the supervisor said, hmm. and I wondered about that because I thought had she picked up the sort of you know metaphoric and in our connection here today, the literal eye roll, and therefore there was a restriction on her degrees of freedom mm -hmm. to actually bring into the room what the supervisor said, because it's noticeable that she didn't. No. No, I had sort of, I sort of thought that she she didn't bring in what she said because um, maybe she was feeling so ashamed or she felt so bad. You know, when we're feeling uh, we're in a shame hole, we sort of can't take in new information. So mm. I sort of felt that that was the reason why, you know, she actually hadn't even taken it in um, because. Well, well, I think you could well be right. So we can go to both ends. I think that you could well be right. Perhaps she felt so bad about it that she couldn't take it in. Mm -hmm. And therefore she couldn't tell you what had been said. And or it could also be that she felt that she might kind of be shamed again or there might be something that you might say to her that was joining with the supervisor and on mm -hmm. site with the supervisor rather than sort of grappling with her about what happened. But I also then don't want to enact something here, you know, Rach, because I feel that you are in a binary, but the binary's got two parts, and we're focusing at the moment on the more moribistic part. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to drop from our engagement mm -hmm. you know, the compassionate part or the part mm -hmm. that actually really did feel her shame That's and important. didn't want to amplify it. Mm. So, you know, and I do know you also as resonating with that and mm -hmm. feeling caring for people who are having that experience because for all of us, shame is terrible. So yeah. the question for me is, can you think about for yourself a way to get out of the binary? Hmm. Well, it's something about that kind of both and, huh? Um. And also, you know, just for me to check in, you know, whether you are, I experience that you are managing to hold what I'm saying about the moralistic as well as about your compassionate so that we don't get into something that's hard to take in here yeah, between us. Yeah, I think that's a thing. I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I don't find uh, the soothing part that hard to do. In, in in fact, sometimes I feel like I might do that too much, <laughs> do you know? Mm, so I think mm. that that's sort of part of the binary, you know. I'm sort of had noticed that, oh, on a feeling level, I kind of should help her feel better about this but then mm. on this kind of maybe moralistic or political sort of level that I I, I, I shouldn't you mm. know so it was sort of um so I think it's something quite deep within you and also Rach because we've been working together for a while 
I feel that your leading edge, if you like, or what you're trying to work with within yourself is to have more courageous speed. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And therefore not avoid things that could be difficult or conflictual. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I do think... That's I'm in this binary. It's like, then what do, how, do I, how do I get mm. out of this? I've got to say something, do you know? What do I say? And I'm going to shame her and, oh, it just it felt... How do I do this? Well. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Give it a go. I'll give it a go. Okay. So something like, um, you know, I can hear, I can hear that you're feeling pretty bad about this, you know, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it is awful to feel, to feel bad, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's an awful feeling to sort of sit with. Um, but then I also kind of wonder if um, there might not be something that we could learn about about this. But then <laughs> it was really shaming. Uh, mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, that doesn't, yeah. Mm. I don't feel like that feels, that feels well, shaming. I don't, I, I, yes, I don't go to uh, that it was such a bad intervention. I mean, you seem to feel that it was you know, not a great intervention. I don't so much feel that. I think that it is along the path because you are trying to hold both. I might frame it a little bit differently myself. Okay. How would you frame it? <laughs> Tell me. What are the answers? Okay, so I, 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 I'd say to her, and I would genuinely feel it, I might just say to her, look, you know, it's a terrible feeling when you've said something and, you know, you know that it's gone down like a lead balloon and something mm. bad has happened from what you just said and you're not quite sure why it was that what you said produced that reaction. So I think it can feel pretty bad. It's a bit of a horrible experience to have that experience in mm. the room because you kind of know you're not on side with everybody, that you haven't read the room. And I think we've all had that experience, and it's pretty horrible. And then it's even made worse when, you know, your supervisor takes you aside and everybody knows the supervisor's taken you aside. So it would feel to me to be massively shaming. But, you know, I'm aware that you haven't even told me what the supervisor said. So I wonder if you actually were able to hear what she said. Because when we're shamed, we sometimes can't hear, but maybe you have heard, in which case it might be useful to share it here. And we can kind of figure out together, uh, well, what actually went wrong? Mm. And we can try and move forward from there. So what are your thoughts? Yours is better. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, Rach, because I was still in the role play asking her what her thoughts were about anyway. <laughs> Um, well, okay, if you feel it was better, why? Why do you feel it was better? Okay, what was better about it? A lot. Well, it felt more validating. You were much more validating. But uh, not just validating, actually. There was, um, okay, so the thing that you did that I didn't do uh, was that you you were on side with her and you you said that we've all had that experience. So mm. she's not over there feeling ashamed on her own, you know, mm. which, you know, yeah, the team and the, the supervisor, you know, she's pulled mm. away, everyone's on one side and she's on this other side sort of thing. So, so you've mm. kind of joined with her, you know, that 
oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've all sort of had that experience. This is this sort of, you know, you sort of shared that, you know, and joined with her about the feeling, um, not what she said though, but the, the feeling of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've encouraged her to think about what and share what the supervisor said. But then again, your language was if if you share it here, then we can think about it together. So I sort of mm-hmm. have this image of you sitting alongside her rather than, mm-hmm. yeah, sort of what we were talking about before, her her imagining perhaps that I'm over there with the supervisor, you know, mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. sitting here on her own. The way you kind of framed it was that, no, we're mm-hmm. sitting, um, you know, we're sitting together, let us have a look at it together, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really diluted the shame, that really sort of, Mm. um, and I could really feel, I could really imagine that that then she would be able to think, A, because you're there with her, but and B, that you've diluted the shame enough so that she can think, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that, you know, she knows that you're on her side, you know, um, and wanting to, not just soothe, but also um, mm-hmm. not sort of only think about it or, you know, come mm-hmm. at it from sort of a, a moralistic sort of position. Um, well, I think you're right because I do feel that I felt genuinely that I could go inside with her because, gosh, few of us hasn't had an experience of putting our foot in it. Mm. I've certainly had many experiences of putting our foot in it. So I could, could have empathised with the fact that that's a, horrible experience, genuinely. But I think you just said something now, Rachel, which I found really helpful in terms of how to understand how one could get out of the binary. Mm -hmm. So let me put some words to it, which I couldn't necessarily quite put the words to before you framed it the way you did. So that was helpful. Okay. Because what you actually said to me was, look, you went on side with the feeling Mm. but not with the content of what she said. Mm. And I guess that kind of takes one out of the binary because you can both be with her Mm. and trying to actually go meta to something Mm. so that it it is around joining around the feeling but not actually joining around the content of what was said and Mm. trying to help her see another perspective on the content. But um, nevertheless connecting around the feeling. Mm. So to me, in the way that you framed it, perhaps does give me and you and everybody some way of feeling that you can get out of that binary between soothing, which is going on board with the feeling, and using the opportunity to get a different perspective by helping her articulate how their content was different to hers and then getting her thought on okay, well, how do you see those two positions without necessarily, unless she asked you, committing to the position? That's right. But helping her to see that there's a difference in the position. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, we're toward the end, but I, I did feel that, the, that that framing of it maybe gave us a way to articulate and think about how do you get out of that binary between soothing and opportunity. That's right. In terms of sort of uh, expanding relational degrees of freedom, <laughs> it feels more open. It feels like there's more room in there, you know, I'm not in this binary. Uh, yes, because sort of... then it also frees you to, to sort of um, 
you know, invite her to speak about what the supervisor yeah. said and not, um, yeah, because I do think maybe there was something coming from you which restricted it. And yeah, then if you can find right. a way to be right. out of the binary, you can then find a way to be more invitational mm. around that expansion. No, I think you're right. I think, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's been really helpful. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Rich. Thanks, Jill. <laughs> in this next part of the episode, we reflect together on what happened in the session. We identify the dilemma we took into the supervision session and then the blind spots that emerged. Blind spots include bright spots and dark spots. A bright spot is when we are blinded to the overall picture and can only see a sliver of what is occurring in ourselves and in the interaction. A dark spot is when the issues are more completely out of sight. We finish by reflecting on what we distilled from the session and then move on to teaching points. Okay, so let's start with the dilemma. What was the dilemma for you, Rach? Okay, so I think the dilemma for me going into this episode was around how to speak my mind about a difficult issue without inducing shame, especially in this current political atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Great. And moving to the blind spots. So we'll start with the bright spot. Jill, what do you think the bright spot was for Rach? Well, Rach, I think you were over-identifying with shame proneness because I think you experience shame proneness yourself, as do mm -hmm. we all, but mm -hmm. I think that perhaps you do a little more. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing that, you moved to kind of be protective and that didn't allow you to be able to look at the other side of the dilemma, which was the fact that the patient was embarrassed by what she'd said and did seem to want some help with it. Yeah, I think that that's true. I was blinded to the part of her that was looking for help um, uh, because I was over-identifying with, with the shame part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. And the dark spot? Well, I think they were quite related and it was an interesting dark spot because it was more an intellectual dark spot, which I'd have to think about what was underneath it, but it was intellectually creating a binary between shaming the person and sweeping the issue under the carpet as though those were the only two choices that were available. And somehow... Because of that binary, they're not, again, being able to go meta to the process and think about, well, what actually happened with this patient? And to look at the fact that there were two things present, her shame and her desire to learn and to be able to go on board with the shame and then leverage the desire to learn. So I thought it was somehow having that binary that then created a difficulty thinking beyond it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I Absolutely agree with that. It was, mm. it was, a, it was an, as you uh, referred to it in this session, it was an unnecessary binary that I, that I was caught in. Um, and there was, some, there was something about being able to include uh, both those perspectives fully that then uh, opened up that binary. Mm. Great. And so what is the distillation for you, Rach? What are you taking away from the session? 
Well, I think that um, there was something about getting in touch with my own experiences and memories of putting my foot in it, um, which uh, which was helped by the fact that Jill uh, referred to uh, times where that she could relate to having uh, having her putting her foot in it. <laughs> um, that sort of uh, it, it normalized that that happens to us all. And then once uh, that was clear in my mind, um, it was clear to me then what the patient needed from me, um, which was to come on side with her uh, in terms of knowing what that feeling is like and how, how you know, how hard it is to, to feel that. Um, so then we could then move to what was the meaning of the comment and, um, you know, uh, to, to sort of unpack, you know, what she said and then perhaps what the supervisor had said as well. Mm-hmm. And anything that you'd like to add, Jill? Yes, well, I think that, Rach, you did get very, you know, very clearly t- at the end of the supervision to the idea of naming without shaming, which I think was what we felt was necessary. But I do have some further reflections because... I did wonder whether there was another binary in a strange way, which was between your identification with the patient and an identification with an imagined audience that would shame you. And I I felt that that was somewhere in the mix. (laughs) I, I didn't feel a need to go there because I felt that we were really trying to get to naming without shaming. But I said earlier I'd have to think about what the binary was under the intellectual binary, and I think it was an unhelpful third. We usually think about the third as helpful, but in this case it was sort of an anti-analytic third because it was your identification with an imagined audience being negative about the comment that the patient made, and then you were split between identifying with her and identifying with the audience. So I did just wonder about that as a further reflection. But as I say, we, it, it felt not so important to explore it at that moment. I think you're uh, 100% right about that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very, very true. So, Rach, what were the learning points from this session? Well, I can think of two. The first one was that I understood that I was preoccupied with the impression that my patient created at work and this restricted my relational degrees of freedom in the room. Uh, And the second one um, is around parallel process uh, in that what she was experiencing um, with shame with her work colleagues, I was also experiencing with an imagined audience. Uh So a sense of expanding the relational degrees of freedom and a parallel process when it came to the experience of shame. Exactly. Yeah. And Jill, what were the teaching points for you out of this session? Well, I think also two, maybe two and a half, actually, because they... (laughs) 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 2.5. One of the points that I make is related, they related to each other. So I think the idea of the anti-analytic third, which has been written about, and... We usually think of the third as helpful, as in reverie, theory, uh, an alternate point of view. But an anti-analytic third is something which emerges between the two people, and it's often informed by the political and the cultural context. 
And I guess that's why I say it's one and a half points because <laughs> it's the context and the anti-analytic third. And then my other point had to do with the notion of judicious self-disclosure because I think self-disclosure is part of the relational frame, but you don't overexpand. So you might say, yes, you can share the experience of shame, but you don't elaborate on all the shameful experiences you've had in your life. <laughs> right, so the anti-analytic third and the context of the situation as well in terms of the half point, and then judicious self-disclosure as well as the teaching point. And let me say, even though it's a half point, I've probably undersold it because it's a really important point <laughs> the context. An underscored half point, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly. Rachel, I've got a question burning. Well, um, yeah, so Jill, a question to you is around um, if we uh, imagine that I'd actually said that the patient's comment was snarky, um, what direction do you think that may have taken us? Mm, that's a very interesting question. Well, I guess because we're looking at the blind spots and the bright spots in you, we would still have to look at what that evoked. And if it was snarky, it would have evoked something quite different. Mm. But if I just stay with the patient, if she was snarky, I think that would point perhaps to intrapsychic dynamics, maybe Oedipal dynamics, in which there was a rivalry or with her teammates, really, to make a more clever point, or it could be a hostility toward the Black Lives Matter, which I think that we all can be unconsciously racist. So that would come in, in terms of the anti-analytic third. And it could also be an envy, because there's tremendous camaraderie in the Black Lives Matter movement. So perhaps Oedipal dynamics, but of course, we'd have to work that out with the patient. Mm -hmm. mm. So eatable dynamics, uh, envy and racism, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can end on that note. Cool. Cool. You've been listening to Three Associating, a podcast on relational psychoanalytic supervision with Jill, Rachel and myself, Andy. See you next time. <laughs>